0: If you're a professional real estate investor and you have the data, like a lot of us do, then you probably are inclined to take a wait and see approach. This business and business in general can be really simple. Just communicate with the people that want to buy from you. Trying to figure out how to turn my investing business into a business versus a hustle me to a place where suddenly what I was doing was unique enough where other people wanted to understand it as well and I could make it easy for other people to do. Business is tough, man. You got to get in there and you got to be prepared to get hit in the face. You got to learn. You got to get choked out a few times. You got to get kicked around. You got to, you know, get beat up because that's the good stuff. The struggle is what's making you into a champion.
1: The real estate world is changing. Opportunity is everywhere. It has never been so easy to connect, share and bring people together. We're learning from others and finding the very best in ourselves. Challenging our beliefs, overcoming our fears, transforming ourselves so we can transform our business. This is Investor Creator. Kent, welcome to Investor Creator. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. So we're going to get into a lot of different things because your background is really interesting. And and I know you had some struggle at the beginning whenever you transitioned from the wholesale grocery world into the real estate world. But first, I really just want to get kind of your state of the market. So in terms of what you're seeing in the market right now with your vast experience, Is it really time to push forward or is it time to pull back in your opinion?
0: Well, it actually depends on, you know, your risk tolerance, what your position is from a liquidity standpoint, et cetera, right? So I think that you're more novice investors, people that are not necessarily experts, but that have been largely locked out of the market for the last five to eight years who are sitting on quite a bit of liquidity, whether that's sitting in some kind of retirement account or, you know, some other asset class, the reality is. There is a massive wave of those people already coming into the market, right? They see this as their chance, their opportunity. They want to be quick to act. They want to take advantage of. It's very similar if you think about a lot of the people that saw when the stock market started falling, there was a lot of activity there where people were acquiring on the down dip fast as they could, and then they kind of rode that back up. They didn't know how long that dip was going to last, so therefore they were highly incentivized to get involved. So you have a lot of that going on right now, a lot of cash flowing into various markets around the country, some of the most distressed markets. so whether that's you know orlando, New Orleans, las Vegas markets that are getting pummeled because of uh, just the nature of the industries that drive their core economy, a lot of cash is going in. so if you are a wholesaler and you are in a position to where you can potentially help connect some of those dots, this is an amazing opportunity, one that you may never get again in your lifetime where you can connect with cash buyers on one side, connect with the stressed asset class on the other side, kind of push those two things together and accumulate a lot of uh, income very, very quickly. Now, if you're a professional real estate investor and you have the data like a lot of us do, then you probably are inclined to take a wait and see approach, a little bit more of a 12 to 18 month approach before we go in and start buying because I think we're in a long haul here, right? I think that there's a lot of the subsidies that have taken place right from the government that have kind of helped prop up some of these. The economy is 100% driven by the consumer in the end. Mm -hmm. And so as long as the consumer is not suffering too terribly, which they're not, they're going to kind of have this basically kicking the can down the road. At some point, that day of reckoning is coming. You can't have 25 million people file for unemployment. You can't have that kind of impact on small business without that having a ripple effect into the housing market for some time. So I think that probably, you know, beginning six, eight months down the road and then lasting for probably the better part of another 10 months, there's going to be a lot of opportunities that guys like us are going to be able to take advantage of. Doesn't mean the people that are getting in right now are not getting a great deal. It's just that if you have good data and you run it like a real business, then you're probably more inclined to sit back and take a little bit more of a wait and see approach because there's a lot bigger ripples coming for sure.
1: Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. I'm a big believer that with every problem is an equal opportunity. And this is a big problem. You know, what we have right now is a big problem. Making this into a, a great opportunity, there's, there's definitely going to be opportunity in the next 24 months. Let's switch gears and talk about how you got started in the business, because I think it's really interesting how you got involved in the entrepreneurship world, because the model that you had was something I'd never heard of. In my entire life, I'd never heard about what you were doing. So kind of go through that if you don't mind.
0: Hey, I was really fortunate. I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad was an entrepreneur my entire life. He was in the grocery industry. So I got I had a front row seat to see what it looked like to start and, and run a business and struggle and all that kind of good stuff. And so when I was 17, we were running a business that was basically an arbitrage business. And it was, in that particular industry, it was called diverting. Because we were diverting products that were intended for one market and putting them into another market. So when a manufacturer, there's roughly 25 to 40,000 items in any grocery store. And what most people have no comprehension of, rightfully so, is that, Just about every single one of those items at some point, the manufacturer is selling them at a significantly discounted price in one market versus another market. Now, mind you, it is the exact same item everywhere in the country, right? So that Nestle's bottled water or that 16 ounce jar of Peter Pan peanut butter or the Charmin tissue sitting on the shelves is exactly the same product. That little barcode, that UPC code is exactly the same everywhere. The problem is, is that If they need to gain market share in New York City, then the manufacturer will come in and basically go and sell 100 trucks of that item at a significant discount, 50, 60% off, in order to gain market share. And so when they do that, they immediately create an inefficient market. They have the exact same product being sold for two different prices. And so if somebody is smart enough to go and get their hands on the product at a discount, they can basically ship it anywhere in the country and sell it just a little bit below the manufacturer's list price and make make a profit. And everybody will win. And so that's what we did. We basically started buying and selling truckloads of groceries when I was 17 years old. And by the time I was 23, I was running a $50 million a year company based in Memphis, Tennessee. By the time I was 27, I had been so successful running that company. A large competitor came in and bought us based out of Boca Raton, Florida, moved me and my wife down to Boca Raton, Florida. And suddenly I was running an $800 million a year company. 27 years old, had no idea that that was a big deal. Looking back now as a 50-year-old guy, I'm like, what the hell were they thinking? Uh, (laughs) But running an $800 million a year company and turned it into 1.8 billion in about 30 months when I was running it. And the basic concept that we put in place there that worked so well, and the reason why we experienced all that growth is that the industry that we were in, although you know a very small industry, only roughly did five or $6 billion a year, Everybody did the deal the exact same way. A, man, a wholesaler or a retailer who suddenly had the, that hundred trucks of Charmin tissue would pick up the phone and they would call about a dozen different guys like me and say, I got it. Who wants it? What do you want to pay for it? And then we would all start banging on the phones and finding somebody that would ultimately buy it from us. And so it was kind of a race to zero. We were all competing over the exact, quite literally, the exact same truck who was willing to pay the supplier more and who was willing to take the least amount on the other side. And, and so that's just a, uh, that's a business that wasn't really attractive to any of us or, or that model, I should say. So the big epiphany, you know, this is why sometimes it pays to be naive and young and believe that anything is possible is uh, you know, it took a 27 year old kid coming in there and saying, what about this? Why don't we just go ask all of our clients? Who are giving us hundreds of millions of dollars a year? Why don't we just go ask them if I could sell you anything at any price on any day and deliver it, you know, in any quantity? What do you want to buy? They would tell us, you know, it was fascinating. They would say, hey man, if you could f- sell me 20 trucks of mac and cheese, I'd buy this. If you could sell me 10 trucks of bounty towels, I'll buy this, whatever, right? And they would just give us a list, effectively open purchase orders for millions and millions of dollars. And suddenly we were playing a different game because we had everything our customer wanted in our hands, the exact price they wanted it, the exact day they want it delivered, the city they wanted it to show up to. So it becomes pretty simple to kind of back into what your next steps are. I just need to go call all the suppliers and find this at a price that makes sense where I can get it to them and make a hefty profit. And that one little reverse wholesaling philosophy that we called it created an additional billion dollars a year in growth for us in less than 30 months. So, that was the big eye-opening experience for me that, man, this business and business in general can be really simple. You'll just communicate with the people that want to buy from you.
1: Yeah. And that makes sense. So at some point you had built up this really amazing business, but you decided to leave, right? I got into a run-in with my business partners
0: and walked out of there March 14th of 2000. And it was, depending on how you looked at it, at the time, it was the scariest thing I'd ever done and was the worst next 22 months. Uh, I would never wish it upon my you know, biggest enemy. Because I proceeded to effectively try to build a business at the expense of my previous partners. So I was pissed off and riled up and wanted to do everything I could to try to hurt them while I was trying to build my own thing. And one, that's no way to ever start a business. But like I said, I was a young kid and kind of didn't believe I could fail. And number two, all those extra zeros in their bank account. In the end, it mattered. When, when, the, when the attorney's fees came in and everything else, it got ugly and eventually they uh, bled me completely dry. So in a 22-month period, I went from having millions of dollars in the bank to having just a few thousand, uh, roughly four grand. i had wiped myself out personally, professionally. I mean, in every sense of the word, I was bankrupt. Uh, I had lost quite literally everything I'd ever worked for. And it was shocking and extremely humbling, disappointing. It was a bad, bad time. But again, like I said earlier, depending on how you look at it, in that regard, it was the worst thing that ever happened to me. And sitting where I sit today it was the best thing that ever happened to me. I needed to be humble. I needed to get knocked down because it eventually led me to a place where I was just desperate enough to go to one of those one-day summits that you see on the late-night infomercials. So this was back in 2002. I went down into West Palm Beach, Florida, in the Embassy Suites. I'll never forget it. Sat in that room and saw somebody talking about wholesaling, which I had never, had no idea that they'd even existed. But it did not take a guy like me very long to figure out that wait a minute, this is very familiar here. I was doing something very similar in the grocery industry. I think I can do this. And so you know, I took that fateful walk to the back of the room, made that little thousand dollar investment, and I got news for you: when you got four grand in the bank and have been making very bad financial decisions for two years, that was a scary walk and a scary investment. But you know, it changed my life. I ultimately, was at a place where I needed to do something. Cash my first wholesaling check twenty two days later, and was off. Man, I was addicted. I was running. I did ninety one deals in my first eighteen months. Uh, made a million bucks and was very very excited about it. And then ultimately turned it into business. Then it was just a high paying job. But you know, as I got smarter about it and as I figured out how to automate things and put processes in place, and through that time I started developing software and automation that would allow me to do the same thing I'd done in groceries to do in the real estate space. Right. So. I knew I had to turn it into a business. I needed I knew I needed to do something different. And so I brought that reverse wholesaling concept to my real estate business and basically tried to figure out how I could go find out who all of the real buyers were and just feed them. Right? Let me just feed you consistently. And much to my surprise, you know, not knowing any of this at the time, I basically went in and I would go down to the county clerk's office and look for all the transactions that had happened the week before where A deed of transfer took place, but a mortgage wasn't recorded. And naturally, that seemed logical to me that it didn't record a mortgage Well, they must have paid cash. And if they're paying cash, then it must be they're trying to buy for investment and they probably want to buy more. And so that was my logic. I started putting that list together, started um, engaging those people. Sure enough, I ended up being right. They were investors. They were looking to buy more. And I started creating a system where I could do that very, very quickly ultimately automated it, ultimately brought the first cash buyer database to the entire industry called Find Cash Buyers Now back in 2008, and then did the same thing with Find Private Lenders and Find Motivated Sellers. And before you knew it, suddenly I was in the uh, software and education space as in addition to the uh, real estate investing space. And that's kind of how all that happened. I mean, basically trying to figure out how to turn my investing business into a business versus a hustle me to a place where suddenly what I was doing was unique enough where other people
1: wanted to understand it as well and I could make it easy for other people to do it. Incredible. So, given that you've done all these transactions, you've done a lot of things, you've seen a lot of investors, you've been in multiple markets, what do you think the biggest mistake is that, that you see newer investors make?
0: Uh, a few. One, I see a lot of people that jump in and try to buy rental property instead of right out of the gate. So they somehow think they're going to go buy an investment property that's going to produce $100 a month cash flow. And then suddenly that's going to solve some problem for them. What they need to do is be creating an actual amount of cash, right? As we both know, or they need to have access to more capital in order to be successful in this business. So either one, you have to create an active income stream like wholesaling that ultimately will allow you to get into the passive world. Or you just need to be a passive investor because you have plenty of money and, or access to money and can do it you know, like that. I see a lot of people making that mistake. Also, you know, and when somebody does make the decision, and this isn't unique to real estate, this is what most people do in business as well. They come in with the approach, they, they completely underestimate what it would take to actually be successful in business, to actually create this dream that they're trying to create. And the analogy I've used several times is that you know, if I pick up the phone and I told you, I got to figure it out. I've watched every YouTube video out there on how to be a great MMA fighter. I have read every book and I've listened to every podcast and I've bought as many, you know, free little trinkets as I can. I think I'm ready to get in the ring, championship fight 250 and go toe to toe with the world champion. I think I'm ready. No, no, no. I've never stepped in the ring. I've never actually done anything. I've never actually gotten the ever living crap beat out of me. I've never, I've never actually listened to anybody, but I think I'm ready. If I said that to you, you'd be like, dude, you've lost your mind. What in the hell are you thinking? Right. And you would be right. What the hell? What am I thinking? But that's exactly what people do with business all the time. They come in and say, hey, I saw this video. I saw that. I got this. I got this. I think I'm ready. I don't really, really have to really do anything. They told me I could push a button. This was all going to rain money on me. I think I'm ready when the reality of it is, is business is tough, man. You got to get in there and you got to be prepared to get hit in the face. You got to learn. You got to get choked out a few times. You got to get kicked around. You got to, you know, get beat up because that's the good stuff. The struggle is what's making you into a champion. Then you got to go back to your corner and you need a coach in your ear telling you, Hey, you missed this. You missed that. You didn't see this. Get back out there and do it again. And you do that enough times. And ultimately you become That championship material that you're trying to become, you're never going to get it by reading a book or watching a video sitting on a podcast. You actually have to get in the game and you actually have to be prepared to get hit and be prepared to come back from it. If you're not, then stay out because you're not ready. And that's the biggest mistake I see people make is they're not ready to come in and put this, you know, you're fighting for a dream. I mean, you know, it's the same as fighting for a championship. You're trying to become the champion and the hero of your own life. You're trying to set yourself apart. Why would you ever go into it and say, I give myself 30 days. And if I haven't cashed a $10,000 check in 30 days, this is all a scam. This is total BS and everybody's a liar. I mean, that's just that kind of victim mentality. I have no patience for it, but yet I see it every day.
1: Yeah. And and I do too. So given I'm going to go out on a limb a little bit here that you had lost millions of dollars in cash and had had a complete reversal in almost every area of your life, you had to have felt pretty beat up during that time. Is that pretty fair to say? of course. Yeah. So what is it that you continued on and most people just like curl up in the fetal position and and they're just out. So what do you think that is that, that drove you to continue? Two things. One is what's the alternative? Well, to your point. (laughs) That's a great point.
0: Right. I mean, look, I'm hundred and fifty percent unemployed. Right? If I went out today to find a job, I'm not sure anybody would ever hire.
1: Me. I've okay. said the same thing about Chick Fil A when they have a hiring thing. I'm like, I don't think they give me a job. Yeah, I mean, I, I
0: what? Yeah, I, what am I going to put on my resume? I built a you know eleven multi million dollar companies. Can I come work for you for twenty five dollars an hour? I mean, they're going to be like, what? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I'm unemployable for a lot of different reasons. And so I kind of had that same uh, epiphany back in the day. I was like, man. Not only could I never work for anybody, I don't know that anybody would ever even hire me. So it's time to get up and go do what I need to do. Now, luckily, the second thing that I, thought I think is really important is you know I've entertained my worst fears. I'll point blank tell you right here, I was absolutely suicidal. It was the worst time of my life, period. Mm-hmm. Um, but I sat there and had some people in my life who had seen me on top My wife, in particular, now she was my girlfriend then, and who believed in me enough to just say, You got to get up. This isn't you. You got, you have to get up. Just put one step in front of the other. And it's all about that momentum. And if you can just keep moving, right? And I had a mentor at the time that would tell me, Look, there's only one way to coast, and that's downhill. You're coasting, baby. If you're not pedaling, you're not moving uphill. You have to keep pedaling. And those words just rang very true in my head over and over and over, which is, it's hard, man. I get it. I mean, there's some people that are clinically depressed, right? And these words will be very hollow for them because they just can't control their thoughts and can't control anxiety. I get it. But at the end of the day, what is the alternative? You have one shot at this whole thing, period. Nobody gets a mulligan here. Nobody gets out of line. You got one shot at this thing. I mean, it's tattooed on my arm, for God's sakes, right? The time is now. I don't wear a watch. I wear a wristband that says the time is now. And every time I look at my wrist, guess what? That bitch is always right. That's the way I live my life. I, it's one moment, one day at a time. Just keep pushing ahead. Do not stop. And as long as I do that and string enough of those days together,
1: it seems to work out. Being that you've been basically in the depths of despair and had a really tough time at, at certain points, have you ever also had this big mountaintop moment where you feel like, oh man, like I've done it now? Or for me, what I find is that every time that I hit a goal, I see how much more I could have done. And it's like the finish line that's always two miles away from me. Doesn't matter how far I run, it's always two miles away. So which is it for you? A little of both. You know, a good friend of mine, uh,
0: Ed Milet, he and I talk about this a lot and it's called being blissfully dissatisfied. Interesting. Um, I live an amazing life now, right? My 27-year-old son works inside of our business back in Memphis, Tennessee. I have a 14-year-old daughter, a six-year-old daughter. We have an amazing, you know, oceanfront home out here in La Jolla, California. Look, I wake up to the Pacific Ocean every day. I walk to my office every day. I get to walk my little girls when they're going to school, get to walk them to school. And those little things are not lost on me in any way, shape, or form. I'm extremely present, right? I'm very grateful that I got a second chance at all this, right? Because I believe that I was the guy when I was in my 20s that took a lot of pride in being at the office at five o'clock in the morning and getting you know, home at 10 o'clock at night. I would do anything and everything it took to build that business. Would con myself into believing I was doing it for my family, which is a total BS philosophy because I promise you when you don't have any of it, your kids are not going to care. What they really care about is how much time you invested in them. And so getting that second chance and then all this, everything I've got, everything I've achieved, not one minute of it or one dollar of it or one instance is wasted on me for a second. With that being said, I love the idea that I know I'm capable of more. And as long as I know I'm capable of more and as long as I'm healthy and happy and can achieve more then I will always, I will always push. It's just who, it's just what's inside of me. The reason why that happens, it's important to me. Like my why is very clear for me it is important for me to demonstrate to my kids what it looks like to try to achieve something every day. I don't want to talk about it. I want them to see it. I want them to see me struggle. I want them to see me trying to accomplish things that nobody's ever accomplished before. I want them to see me overcome challenges. I want them to model what I do. And so, yeah, I'm really happy That the plan that I laid out for my life ultimately worked. And I'm very happy that I've been able to accomplish what I would, of course, absolutely. But I'm also dissatisfied knowing, man, I got so much more life in me and so much more to accomplish, which is a great feeling as well.
1: And to put it in perspective, what you've accomplished now, I mean, how many houses are you guys actively managing? Uh, We flip about 900 properties a year. We manage about 6,200
0: properties right now for a little over 2,000 investors. Every one of those properties, we originally bought that property rehab that property and sold that property to that investor and continue to manage it for them for years so none of those are properties that we just bought a portfolio or anything like that true sure. and then we've roughly in our education business we roughly have 62,000 people that have purchased our products services you know and, and work with us on an on a annual basis so yeah these are big businesses man this is this is no joke right these are this is hundreds of millions of dollars going around here but when you do things and you build a business on purpose, and not by accident. In other words, a lot of people build businesses, and they get ultimately become a slave to that business, like I did the first time. Right? They get conned into doing all of the things that feel right, but they're chasing money. And they look up, and when it's all gone, they realize, man, I did this. This was kind of a house of cards, right? I had all the money, had all the gifts, had all the things. I was, you know, if social media was around, I would have been the guy posting all the stuff on social media. That would that one hundred percent would have been me, right? Um, But in the end, you know, when it all disappeared, ended up getting divorced from my first wife. My son hardly knew me at the time. All my friends were all wrapped up in that business, et cetera. So it was all gone like this, right? And when you get shattered like that, you'll figure out real quick, which the next go around, not going to make that mistake. So I'm definitely here to tell you, you can have the best of both worlds. You can absolutely build a really big business, as big or as small as you want to build it. You can absolutely do it where you have all the time freedom you ever would want to have. And you can absolutely do it while you help, you know, tens of thousands of people
1: along the way. So, I mean, I'm proof. Kent, I appreciate our time together. If people are interested in finding out more about you, where's the best place for them to go? I'm easy to find now. Talking about
0: social media, just go to find me on Instagram at Kent Clothier, find me on Facebook at Kent Clothier, or you can just go to KentClothier.com. Anything I can do to help you or, or any of your listeners, man, I'm there for you.
1: Appreciate it very much.
0: All right, brother. Take care. Peace.